Welcome to the Calgary Sessions. I'm your host, Jeff Humphreys. This is episode number 33. Uh, today's guest is sitting in front of me because of a mutual friend, Mr. Laval St. Germain. Uh, some might say he's Canadian royalty. I probably agree. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> so I uh, introduce yourself, name, and what you're up to. Uh, my name's Pete Hockenhall, and I guess what uh, what brings me here anyways, or what makes me an interesting Calgarian, or at, that would at least have Laval think that I'm worthy of it, it would be... Uh, almost entirely cycling. Um, so I host a podcast called Adventure Audio uh, that I host with Tyler Hamilton, who's an ex-US professional road racer. Yep. Uh, and we started that a couple of years ago. That's how I met Laval. Right. And I've had the opportunity to just in interview some super, super incredible people. I was never a pro, um, never even tried to be a pro, but I'm a super, super avid amateur athlete. And then I also subsequently from doing that, as these things happen, I also host another podcast uh, that's very specifically about Everesting, which I think Laval told you about his Everesting yeah, yeah. on which, on Revelstoke, which is brutal. So we can get to that too. So, so that's uh, and and I do you know I did an Everesting this past August, um, written double centuries, and that's kind of my my thing is ultra endurance cycling, cool, and talking about it as much as I can, which is awesome. So I think th this is the first time that I've actually had a podcast host. So it'll be like the host, the double host show, which would be interesting because. Usually, as the host, you just sit there and ask questions. So it's a different dynamic, right? Like it's, it's like a dance. Like yeah. somebody has to lead a little bit. So I'll totally. try and not, uh, not, not lead. Well, it'll be cool though, because I think just the and right before we got on camera, we just started BSing about how small this our circle is, and our circles seem to be very small. Like they're very Super close. Super small. Which is which will just make this really cool because I think it's going to go all over the place. Which is that makes for the best shows. Yeah, like I guarantee that you, you were you let me into a club at some point, totally. <laughs> you know, like it's, twenty years ago, definitely. Like, yeah, or serve close. me drinks or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, you've you've listened to a, a, a bits of a few shows. So you kind of know the gist. You know, I just like the guests. I like take the take the guests back as far as they want to go. You know, okay. just we all kind of grew up in a certain way. Things at a certain age started kind of resonating with us, whether it's lifestyle, athletics, family, work, like anything. So, just go back to a point where you're kind of comfortable where things started to click and we'll take it from there. Well, like to go right to the beginning, I'm a born and raised Calgarian. So I was born um, in 79 here and uh, my brother was born in 77. My parents moved here from Montreal just a few years before that. Um, I think at that time they thought like they'd be here for a couple of years and go back, but never did like yeah. a lot of people. So we grew up in Strathcona. No way. Yeah. So did I. Did you? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're all good. Hey, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> okay, whereabouts? We were on Stratford on Stratford Place, so off of off of Strathcona Boulevard, where like down the big hill, like what? Part sorry. way down the big hill. So, you, so where you now? Come in, turn left, and go down by the schools. Yeah, if you're coming in off 69. Yep. Yeah, you turn left at where Olympic Heights is yep. now. It wasn't yep. there at the time, mm -hmm. and then go down. I guess like maybe five or six streets, and then we'd be on the right hand side, backing the ravine. Okay, so yeah. down the hill. You know, past Olympic Heights wasn't there. Your first yep. left, Straff, Strathbury Bay. No kidding. There's a there's a there's a rock right there. Yeah, like, and it's been there forever. Back in the day, we if like we could get to the top, rock. yeah, yeah, right there. You turn left and go right there. Okay, so we that that is hilarious. So, so we lived there from like '83 to '90, maybe like '90 or no something way. like that. '90, no, maybe more like ten years, maybe '93 or something. Then we lived in Scenic Acres for a while. And then yep. when I was moving out, I eventually found my way back to the Southwest. But so funny, um, dude. that is funny. Um, 
What school did you go to? What elementary? Uh, I went to St. Mike's. Okay, I went to Westgate. So okay, that's that's Catholic. Yeah, I ended separate. up going to Catholic school in high school, but yeah, um, but Westgate at first. So that's why we. Yeah, that's well, the only thing keeping the circle from getting a little bit tighter. When because your brother's seventy seven, same as me, so we would have, you know, if we were you, both, you'd have been in the same grade. Been in the same grade. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, my my dad built the house in Strathcona in eighty uh, one, and they're still there today. No kidding. Mm-hmm. My brother still lives there now. Now he lives right. Uh, he lives like two blocks from the community center. Crazy. Yeah, that is okay. Small world again. So Strathcona <laughs> back when 69th was like that was not, it. not a dirt road, but yeah. it was like a chip road. Yeah. Like it was, and it was the end of the world. Yeah, there was yeah. a bus loop, and that was it. That was it. That was the end of the line. End city. So that, I know that dates us now, but <laughs> that was it. It's <laughs> awesome. Now it's this major road, and it's just like there's keeps going and going. Totally. So and then, um, you know, just like everybody else I like rode bikes as a kid and stuff but it didn't really like take hold and become like a big part of my life until um like really early adulthood I think Mike my brother bought his first like real mountain bike like a nice specialized mountain bike when I when he was like 19 and I was probably 17 yeah and then like the next summer you know he had been badgering me to like save money buy a bike buy a bike buy Mm -hmm. bike and I did and then Mm -hmm. it was just like it's been on ever since just like that totally hooked totally hooked yeah with with some periods of time where i did a lot of running and stuff because mm-hmm. it was more like this predates like people thinking that riding in the winter was a sensible thing to do right yeah. like or, or indoor trainers or anything like mm-hmm. that so i for there was a number of years there where i got into a good canadian cycle of getting really fit in the summer and then getting a little lazy and out of shape and spending too much time in nightclubs and stuff yep. during the winter and then getting back into shape in the spring so after like two years of that, I pretty quickly took up running in the winter, right? So then I'd kind of be in this cycle mm-hmm. of at least keeping fit. So, I mean, I would say that to categorize it fairly, I'd say that I like running, but I love cycling, yeah. if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. So when, you, when you're kind of, you know, you're going through um, junior high and high school, were you, you're athletic, you're athletic dudes, were you doing everything or were you kind of just like... Doing no, I was like, I was very active in the sense that I loved being outdoors and like running around and exploring and like being on the move all the time. Yep. Um, and loved being in the mountains at any chance or opportunity we got. But I like, I played soccer and a little bit of football in high school, but I wasn't like, I didn't have something that like clicked and made me obsessed. Yep. But I, it's funny to reflect because I do remember like seeing back in the old days when they would like broadcast like the Boston Marathon or, mm-hmm. um, like Iron Man from Kona, like on the wide world sports, like yep. way back in yeah, the day. Yeah. And just as a little kid and yeah. being just completely captivated by, by endurance sports. Hmm. Um, but I never really like, I like cross country running and stuff was, I loved it. Like in hmm. the fall, like that was great, but I never really, never really thought about like, that's like a whole world out there, but I knew that I was like totally fascinated by it. Yeah. The people could just go all day. Like it was amazing to me, you know, back then those were kind of, they were kind of underground sports, right? way more like it's just super fringe yeah super fringe so where t- it was like back then it was like accepted that you got to middle age and you got heavier mm-hmm. and it was just like mm-hmm. part of life and that's that's bullshit yeah <laughs> it really is yeah that's not reality yeah. anymore so totally. when you when you, the first bike you bought was it a mountain bike road bike or like where's your where's your cycling career kind of start yeah i, I love geeking out on this part of it uh because it, it has evolved and in like and grown into different directions but it was mountain biking for sure that that started it all so 
it was a specialized rock hopper. Oh, yeah. Um, no, that's not true. I bought a GT first and I only had it for a year and then was immediately down at BowCycle to upgrade it in the old store. That was the, the last bike one. I bought at the old store mm -hmm. where there was like, remember they had the nicer yes. bikes. It was like yeah, yeah. seven steps up mm -hmm. and that's where the nicer bikes yeah. was. You I bought your... my GT on the first floor and I bought my <laughs> Specialized on the second floor. Remember what you bought it from? Do you know, like, was it Fransky or was I, it like, or just some, was it Brian? It, I don't remember who it was. Mm. Um, I don't think it was one of the partners. Mm. I think it was just an employee, Somebody, yeah. not just an employee. I yeah. think it was an employee, not a partner um, who might not still be there. But I, I remember the bike vividly. Saved up like, for it? Totally. Did you have a job? Were you working? Like, I did, yeah. So like right when I graduated from high school, I started working. Like I work in the car business. Okay. And I worked at Stadium Nissan. So like right across from McMahon. Was that your first job? That was like my, well, I mean, I had jobs in high school. I worked at the Crofa Car Wash Company, oh, yeah. which was a brutal job. <laughs> like at a, at a car wash bay? No, like a, like a, like a drive-through car wash, yep. like almost like Johnny Rockets. Yep. Right. Oh, so you're like hand washing and driving? Hand washing cars in oh, high school. You're yeah. working, working. Working, working. Totally okay. hard work. Yep. We'd move the grates out at night because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it had this long trench and it would just get filled with like soap mm -hmm. and dirt and we needed to shovel it out. Like it was, it was work, work. What, and what, sure. what made you get a job at that age? Were you, was that parents driving <laughs> here? Or you, did you, no, did you have that a... was me. Because um, you wanted things? Totally. Yeah. Wanted what? Um... Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Did, did, but did, as soon as I was able to work, I was trying to work. Sneakers? Did you want like video games? Did you want like, or you just needed, you knew you needed money to do things? I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. Or there's just some, some innate ambition, mm -hmm. like, or just maybe it's just part of North American culture. Like you work, you yep. need to earn, you need yep. to acquire. Like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a materialistic person. But, um, but no I pressure? definitely. There's no pressure from your parents. It's like, oh, it's time to get a job. No, no. They loved that I did. They definitely loved that I did because not a lot of like high school boys are willing to get up at six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday yep. and go wash cars all day. Right. Yep. Like so. And I was willing to do it mm -hmm. and put in the work. Mm -hmm. um, and it was hard because sometimes, you know what it's like to be in high school. Sometimes yeah. you're out late with your buddies doing things you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Edward, you, you park. Wherever yeah. You're. And then you're on two or three hours of sleep and you're <laughs> dragging your ass to work. But I did it. Saved up money, bought that bike and was like totally hooked. How much was totally. it? It was eleven ninety nine. I was going to say eleven hundred bucks, which was like a big deal. That was the number. That back was then. a big deal. Yeah, yeah. and that, it was like it was tw twenty six inch wheels, mm -hmm. hardtail. It mm -hmm. probably had like ninety millimeters of travel, mm -hmm. um, maybe like one point eight five tires, uh, front um, disc, like a first generation disc brakes. No like way. Heavy, mm -hmm. like it was probably like a 33, 34 pound bike. Work, and work I to get that thing. loved it, and I didn't just mountain bike on it. Like we would drive to trails and mountain bike. Yep. Um, and then right when I moved out of my parents' house, I lived in Ranchland, so I'd ride to Nose Hill mm -hmm. and explored every piece of single track in there. But I would just ride it. Like, I would ride it everywhere. I got to friends' houses, my girlfriend's house. Like, I just rode it everywhere. Hmm. Streets, pathways, single track, mm -hmm. whatever. I just rode the shit out of that bike. Hmm. And only for a year? That bike? No, I probably had that bike for two or three years. Okay. And then my, who is now my brother-in-law, uh, so he and I are married to sisters, um, when when he met my now sister-in-law, it just turned out that he was also into cycling. Mm -hmm. But his dad had been really into road cycling. So Jason mountain biked and road cycled. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you should get a road bike because then we can go do the Golden Triangle together. And I was like, what's that? So then I learned all about that. What is I, it? So it's you ride from Castle Junction, 
Yeah. Uh, the Bo- Elbow Valley Cycling Club puts it on. They still do. I think it's every May long weekend. So okay. that's dicey as it is, right? Yep. Canada yeah, Canadian totally. May long weekend. So you ride from Castle Junction to Radium. Okay. Day one, day two, you ride from Radium to Golden, Golden. and then Golden back to Castle Junction. Right. So how I'm, long is that? It's like 330 kilometers over three days. Okay. So it's, so it's, it's a it's pretty work. big bike ride. It's yeah. a lot of work. And I'd never done like multi-day stuff like that. Yep. So off we went and we did it. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I'd ridden 300K. What'd you ride? Three days in a row. I, I bought another road bike. You I bought, I bought you, a road bike. Yeah, for that specific? Specifically for that. And hmm. then was totally hooked on road cycling. Also bought that at Bow. This is like two, two or three years later. What was that it? was in the new store and it was a specialized LA. So it was like aluminum, but mm. it had a carbon seat post, mm. carbon fork. I bought Ax- Mavic Axiom wheels for it. So like, you spent some money. I did. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. So like, and I was like fully in. Um, yeah. Like emptied the bank account to buy this thing? Uh, no, I, I, lived, I lived with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. So I think I was a little more responsible than that. But we were like double income, no kids at that time. Mm. And she actually prodded me. She's like, if you want a road bike, like you work your ass off, go buy a road bike. Mm. Cool. Things were easier back then. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go like yeah, that yeah, now totally. when I want to build a new yeah. bike. But the decision process was yeah. quick. And then, but I specifically remember that ride because this is like the full circle story to how like how long it takes to talk yourself into like ultra stuff yep. from like other hard stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember Jason and I sitting at this like dumpy hotel in, in Radium. So leg one. And the leg, leg one. Leg one. And the leg one. Yep. And I was like, man, I can't believe we did that. And we were riding down like, you know, that big drop oh, dude, into Radium. I was going to say going up to the top though. It's tough. Yeah. Well, it, you start with Storm Mountain yeah, Pass, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you have a long stretch of like relatively. Dude, I drive that road kind of okay, all the time. So you know it. I'm not crazy enough to ride the road. <laughs> Well, the ride's not bad. I mean, the ride's survivable. It's just the traffic now. It's, yeah. it's a bit tough. You need to pick it on the right day. But yep. like, it was pouring rain. We were freezing. We rode directly to the liquor store, mm-hmm. loaded up, and we were. And then the sun finally came out. And Jason said to me, we "We're drinking scotch," and he's like, "You know, I've heard that people do this whole thing in a day. Some people." And I was like, "Get the fuck out of here! Mm-hmm. Like, nobody can do this in a day. Like, that sounded totally insane to mm-hmm. me." But it turns out that people can. And have you done it? I haven't done that ride in a day, but I've ridden that far in a day. Yeah. So it's possible. It is definitely possible. So yeah, I we, did it twice last summer. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it is. You just got to ride all day. And like there's normal people all day, which is get up, have breakfast, ride, and then have dinner. Yeah. That's the normal person all yeah. day. When I say ride all day, I mean like ride all day like, <laughs> like damn the entire near day yeah yeah so 17 to 24 hours and then you can ride really really far so and, and so just you know to to give you a little context so because i this this really interests me the amount of cycling you do and what you're up to because i last year i guess three last year was my two years ago was my first kind of year of getting into cycling um i bought a cervello c2 off nice. of kurtz nice so before that i had a jake the snake Awesome 2001 Jake the Snake that I kind of had for 19 years, and I and I, one year I rode like 1,300 clicks. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun, you know. I'm just I, this feels fun. So the next year I started and was riding again, and I was like, nah, I need, I need to upgrade. So I bought the Cervelo, and I rode 6,000 kilometers that year. That's a big year. And then last year I did 7,100. So I'm like, you know, I'm not nearly in your world, but I totally appreciate what you do on a bike. This is what gets me going because it's it's very interesting to hear how you're thinking about this. So, you know, doing that first golden triangle one, 
are you literally just in the saddle, just like, oh, I got this, I got this? Are you? Is it a dead grind for three days? Yeah, it was, it definitely got grindy, especially on day three, because then you're going from, then you've got two days in your legs. I, and again, I'd never done anything like that before. I'd ridden my, my, my old hardtail mountain bike one time around the city. I rode 100K one which, time. Which on, on which that old school bike? I couldn't, yeah, totally. I couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. My brother and, and our best friend Bernie were sitting in our living room at the time and I got home and I just like collapsed in the living solo? room and I was solo totally by myself and, and on a whim like with 20 bucks stopped at a couple of 7-elevens and, and you just, just like you're like I, I have some time here's a very loose number I have a loose path yeah I'm gonna see if I can do this I was pretty sure that if I rode from ranch lands and sort of circumnavigated a bunch of the east part of the city yep. and rode all the way across Fish Creek yep. and then kind of like looped mm -hmm. back I was pretty sure it'd be around 100k and it was, and I just had like the old cat eye odometer mm -hmm. with like a mm -hmm. wire, mm -hmm. and, you mm -hmm. know? So I'd only done that once. So oh. then I did two days and we're sitting and then riding from Golden back towards Castle Junction, but there's some big hills, yep. big hills like past um, uh, spiral tunnels and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was grindy, and but it's pressure over time. That's what I realized on that very first trip. It's How do you just mean? like, is you just continue to apply, apply pressure towards the task. And then it's only a matter of time. You just keep like you just keep pouring energy into it, which means fuel in your body yep. and turning pedals. Like, and it's amazing. Which makes sense. The fuel part—that's the wild card, right? Big time. You can go out on that adventure, and if you're not fueling, is it possible to still accomplish it? Was there not enough hours in the day to get there? You, you know, you need to have a smarter person talk to you about um, the nutrition and what the body does. Yeah. But you, they, I mean, the the short answer is yes. You can. Because you, your body will eventually convert to burning fat. And even if you're pretty lean, you've got days and days of calories yep. just hanging on your body. Yep. And your body will figure it out. It won't just stop. It'll it'll eventually convert to burning fat. Is it optimal for performance? Mm -hmm. No. Like if you're trying to make time on yeah. something, you need to continue to feed Fuel. it carbs. Right? You need like that yep. flat. It's like somebody once explained it to me. The difference is like fat is like that that those embers that burn down really, mm -hmm. really, really hot in a fire that take like two hours to put out because yep. they just are burning so much. But carbs are like the newspaper that you're throwing on top of it. And there's, mm -hmm. it's making quite a display, right? Yep. You need, ultimately you need both. But yeah, to answer your question, you, you could, but really you should continue to keep yep. fueling, but not too much. Yeah, you yeah. need to figure all that stuff <laughs> totally. out. Totally, yeah. it's a science. It totally it is. That, that 100 kilometer ride around Calgary, what, you know, what you touched on earlier, just a, uh, you know, you could see these kind of endurance sports as something. Was that the trigger? You're like, how far can I go? Like, what? Because that there yeah. wasn't a lot of, you know, the pathway system wasn't what it is right now. So to pull off a hundred, you know, it took some That's creativity, true. right? Yeah. I mean, it's, were you it, bored? Do you want to prove anything? It was, was it just really a test? simplistic? It was a test. Yeah, I love. I just. The first time I rode 43 kilometers, I wondered if I could ride 50. Mm -hmm. And the first time I rode 50, I wondered if I could ride 75. Mm -hmm. And it just. It still hasn't really. It, yeah, I was gonna say does it, that hasn't stopped. It still hasn't really stopped, mm. I guess. So it sort of came from there. But I remember it well though, because it was totally on a whim. Dude, because I, I got a story very similar. And we'd been out partying <laughs> the night before, and I woke up hungover, and I was like, "Enough of this! I'm going to, I'm gonna ride 100k." And I, off I went, literally with 20 bucks in my cycling shorts and. and Where'd water. you stop? Where was your like pit stops? Do you remember it? Seven Elevens. There was like three Seven Elevens. <laughs> Where'd you eat? Yeah, it was just water, and I mean, food was pretty cheap. Twenty. Yeah, something years ago, mm -hmm. like uh, 
And I think just like, I think power bars were pretty mm. much like the Pleasure. thing back then. Yeah. So funny, man. Cause I, I just grinded it out and I was, I mean, I was a bag of shit when I got back, I was ruined for a couple of days, day at least like it took you. Yeah. Oh yeah. At least a day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I could feel it. Like pedaling squares is the uh, cycling expression, right? Where you feel like your wheels aren't even round anymore. Mm. You're just so tired. <laughs> <laughs> Torture. Yeah. I, I went on a ride and I, I don't know what it was. And I was, I was, and I think I had an old, I might've been on my Jake, the, it was probably on my Jake, the snake. And I don't know what I did. 25 kilometers, 30 kilometers, nothing crazy. And anyways, no fuel, no nothing. And I remember going around, coming, doing the res and going somewhere else. And I was coming back up 37th street and there's a 7-Eleven on 37th street right by Mount Royal. Yeah. I know where you mean. And I was just, there's like a little incline to get, like, to get there out of like, out of the res. And my legs both started cramping. <laughs> so I limp into 7-Eleven by yeah. two chocolate bars. Out of bars. the weasel head hill, yeah, you yeah, mean. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I crushed two chocolate bars. My legs kind of come back. And then I ride the last like 25 minutes home. But the 7-Eleven pit stop was my, as soon as you but said But you realize how sugar can, yeah. can save Get you, you going in, quickly. in a pinch, right? Yeah, totally. for sure. Yeah. So after your, your university... You go to university? Are you doing that? And no, still I was working. I was working right away, and then I went to Mount Royal College part time okay. while I was working because I didn't want to not go. And I'm like, I'm glad I did. It it didn't really. It honestly didn't really change the outcome of my career trajectory a whole lot. But it was nice to. I worked at a car dealership, so it was nice to work with. It was nice to hang out with people my age. Everybody was like forty, and I was like yep. eighteen, nineteen, yep. twenty. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the job at the dealership was just by chance. You know somebody or sort of by chance my dad was uh my dad was a uh, commercial real estate broker and mm. he uh, did some work with jack carter so you remember jack carter yep. that was at the time was jack carter chev olds that was when oldsmobile existed so mm -hmm. that was on the corner of like glenmore and mcleod yeah. they've since moved um so one of jack's partners opened stadium nissan his name was lawrence bates and that's why i started working there at first and then lawrence kind of just was like my work dad and his his two sons were like older brothers to me and I worked there for a long time. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, great. Cars. Is there something, is there a connection with cars in your world? Is it, you know, between washing cars and the, like working at a college car dealership? Sort of. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I was a pretty typical North American teenage boy. Like I loved cars. I yep. loved reading about cars, mm -hmm. like loved reading Motor Trend and Road and Track. And I would like go to the library and read all of them and was totally into the, and I loved car dealerships. Like I loved just like the buzz and new models out and all this, all the time. Cars have, afforded, I love the business, but it has changed because they become, after so much time, they do become a little bit of a commodity yep. rather than like, right? Yep. It's hard to look at cars as to, not just like what's it worth what could it sell for mm -hmm. right wholesale mm -hmm. retail like it's yeah, yeah. it's hard to hard to separate that a little bit um and and i they they don't have the same sense of adventure attached to them as bicycles do to me yeah so but yeah cars have been cars have been like around and sort of important just, along for a long time too yeah in a so, different way so the the dealership job you're just kind of um you're working there obviously full-time yeah mount royal a little bit mount royal like two nights a week yep working at the store full time like a lot like 50 60 hours a week but looking back i still feel like i had a lot of free time which is funny because when you've just moved out like mm. it's like you really only have to answer yourself yep. if you don't feel like tidying something up that day you don't and totally. like you know what it's like yeah, when, you first, when you first leave the nest yeah. so yeah i mean it was either i was either uh working or going to school or riding bikes and it's pretty much still the same thing except for school, but I'm either like working or doing some, doing something in service to my family and my yep. kids or I'm riding bikes. And the biking back then, you did, back then, 
could you keep track of kilometers like you can on Strava now? No, but yeah. it's funny that you ask because there's obviously you can, I can see that you have some of this personality. If you specifically rode 7,100 kilometers in a yeah. year, that's a specific yeah, number. Totally. Um, there's something about like, I think we all have like, we're all somewhere on a spectrum of like mental health things and mm -hmm. everybody has a little bit of OCD. Yeah. If you're a little more on this side of the spectrum, there's something about like it's cycling and endurance sports where like the kilometers and the elevation gain and the mm. routing and looking maps and yep. figuring things out yep. and looking at trails and zooming in on Google maps mm. and like seeing if something's gravel, like that really appeals to cyclists and more, even more so when you become like an ultra cyclist. So yeah, from, so I didn't, I Strava didn't exist. No, I've, I've kept manual hand no way. cycling well, logs you were like, like back to. I didn't do it that early, but probably, I probably got 10 years of that pre-Strava. So you would just, you would set your cat eye, go yep. out, whatever it said, 29, go to your book, right? 29? Hours, mileage. So no elevation back then, yep. right? Because yep. I had no idea. Yep. I had no idea what I was riding for elevation. Uh, but time, time and mileage, in, it broken down weekly and then summarized monthly no and way. then summarized yearly. Crazy. No shit. But yeah. you were into it. Very. And yeah. so you... You think it's the, well, when you said the, like the OCD, like we're on, we're on a spectrum and the cyclist, the cyclist can be that way. What about the, uh, when I look at it, um, I look at it from the lens of being able to just accomplish something, to be moving forward in a direction that you're always getting. The amount of work you're putting in is you're seeing improvements. That's what I kind of, the reason why I said 71, like six to 71, because that's my improvement. Totally. Like it was, it was yeah. like, that's a, it's not a gauge of, gauge of success. It's not a flex to the world to say, this isn't, this is my number. It's just, I know that I put in X amount of energy and it got me to here, which is my new baseline. It sounds so corny, but I mean, it really is you versus you, right? Yeah. Like it all should be because there's always going to be somebody who can kick your ass at something. So, I mean, it really should be you. Yep. Like look at Kurt's mileage. Like yeah. I can't aspire to that right no. now. I can't. But, but so what is that? And that's a, you know, I know yours is. I did 10,000 last year. Which is, yeah. a, which is a big number. Yeah. Kurt, I like it. I mean, it feels like it. And then you a, see somebody do 20 and you're like, shit. So, so here, here's, here's the scale. I'm at 71. You're at 10. Kurt's at 24. I know that 10 is out of my range because of my lifestyle. I have other things that I like to do in the summertime. Yeah. 24 is never, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to retire and just like stop doing everything to get there, which I don't want to do. So it's not. When, when people tell you what the number is, the only thing, what I think is you appreciate the amount of time and energy and dedication it takes to pull that number off. Totally. And it's not a, it's not a, I'm, I'm stronger, I'm faster, I do, it's just. Yeah. It's also, it's also, yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, to begin with, like to, to bring it all back to like, why would I be like writing that stuff down? Probably a little bit of OCD, but also to measure it, right? Like, yeah. can I improve on yeah. that, those things? Also, if, if you only focus on a metric like, mileage then you're not taking into account intensity or yeah. what kind of bike you're riding because yeah, you totally. somebody could ride six thousand kilometers of single track and they could have rode way more hours than i did mm -hmm. last mm -hmm. year right mm -hmm. mine's a combination of gravel indoors road yeah. and mountain biking yeah so it's like kind of a mix but there's people who ride more hours than me and fewer kilometers and vice versa right so yeah like you can't I don't know. You could you could chase that stuff all day and you totally. drive yourself bananas. But I do like I do like tracking things for the exact same reason, right? Kind of do a little more, a little better. Yeah. Do you do you find that um, over the last let's say five years, have you seen a gain every year? On um, let's let's just use kilometers for example. Have you? No. It, okay. So um, that doesn't matter to you. 
It's ebbed and flowed. I mean, I have three kids. Yeah, lifestyle, right? Yeah, totally. It's hours. Hugely, right? To pull off 10,000 kilometers in a year, how many date, well, how many active days is that? And how many hours of riding is that? It's like 340 active days. So I'm really consistent. Where some people could ride the same mileage as me, but they could do it in like half as many days. Because they're just going like, no, every weekend I go for like a gigantic wander. That's awesome too. My life's constructed in such a way right now where I need Mm. to be really judicious with my time. So sometimes it's pretty focused training because I can't go ride three 350 kilometers in practice mm-hmm. to go ride three, three or 350 kilometers, right? Mm-hmm. You need to be able to practice in a different way. Yeah. And I think that's just a, that applies to a whole bunch of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't need, you don't need to do 20 hour bike rides to get ready to do a 20 hour bike ride. Well, and we can get into that yeah, yeah. science too, right? Totally. Like coaching and training and cause it's key. It works. So if are your goals, um, are they just based off of just are your goals focused around events and challenges? And is that enough to drive you? And what about the, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the amount of hours you spend riding your bike by yourself and where your head goes and, and what that does for you. Oh man. Okay. So two, two separate questions. <laughs> um, and again, this is like, that's why I wanted to give yeah. you context for what I do. Cause this is totally. like all very interesting. To so me. the first one's about events and goals. Yeah, definitely. Definitely very event and goal oriented. Sometimes they're just completely by my own construct though, yep. right? So like my good friends, Kelly and Dave and I decided last year that, Hey, we're going to do a 200 miler. Like, cause a hundred miler, like the, the century, that's kind of like the thing for cyclists, okay. right? Like go, can you do a hundred miles? That's 160 the, clicks. It's like the marathon. Yeah. Yep. Right. It's like the marathon of cycling. Can you do that? And I'm like, not Which, a lot, not a lot of people can it's say a big thing, like right? 200, right? Yeah. Doing a century is a big thing. Yep. I still remember my first one. People should be proud of that. Um, how, so long, how long did it take to do the double, uh, to do the first one, the hundred miler? <sighs> Probably like seven hours back then okay yeah i rode from i was with a group and we rode uh and then a bunch not a bunch of us there was about 30 of us on a trip and six or seven of us decided to try and get 100 miles like within a, within two rides before and a day a ride the day after yep. but we did it and then it started to really open up possibilities right and then it's pretty easy to start to talk about oh, 200k I mean, it's only another 40 kilometers, right? It's like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I can do it. Mm-hmm. So then you start to do those things. Um, so, but events and goals for sure. Um, that is that the, cause you know, if kilometers, if kilometers are, um, if your lifestyle kind of dictates how many clicks you can actually put on, what's the, what's the drive to keep doing it? Is it just to stay active? Is it to, is yeah, it I mean, that's the events? definitely part of the drive for sure. Like to say that there's like no, there's a concern just for my overall health and longevity and well-being for sure. Yeah. Also just vanity and ego is for sure a factor. I think the people who work out a lot and say mm. that that's not, are mm. probably not being totally honest with yeah, themselves. Yeah. Of course. Like I like being, I like, I like appearing fit and being active. Fit, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, but events and stuff, no, that was, that's just all about, can I do it? Mm. Right. So there's some inspiring events that I haven't been able to do yet, but like, I hope to like Leadville, um, What's that? it's a hundred mile mountain bike race in Leadville, Colorado. Okay. So it starts at 10,000 feet of elevation and goes up to, I can't remember 12,500. So the so whole event is high elevation. So that makes it really hard and unique in its own way. Yep. Um, and then Everesting, I sort of became aware of that. Like maybe six or seven years ago, I'd heard of this challenge sort of in my periphery. And then yep. it started getting some like mainstream buzz, like in bicycling magazine and like in Velo news and stuff like that. And, like, so it's kind of recent started hey? doing it. Well, ish. 
Yeah, like it only got sort of invented maybe 10 years ago. So explain what like it is because there's not many people that are going to know. Yeah, so for like lay about. people, the Everesting Challenge was sort of dreamed up by this guy named Andy Van Bergen in Australia. He lives in Melbourne, Australia. He's like he's like a kindred, totally a kindred spirit. And he he devised these like hellishly long and brutal cycling challenges for he and like his locals local buddies who were all really into this. Like, I think one of his uncles, maybe his dad were into these like really, really extreme cycling challenges. And then Andy sort of started like masterminding them himself. So not just going out and doing other people's challenges, mm. but like, what if we did this? And mm -hmm. he'd propose it to his friends and mm -hmm. they'd be like, Oh my God, Andy, that's insane. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they'd go and try and do it. And they often would. Was there media coverage back then? Were they getting, was it, was they, it magazines or was it in social or what was it? They did get some media coverage back then for sure. And Andy actually works for Cycling Tips, mm. which probably helps. Gotcha. Um, and then he had heard about George Mallory the second, or is he the third? A George Mallory doing uh, what, what he called an Everesting on, by bicycle in Australia, what that was, was to go up and down one hill until he'd reached the equivalent elevation of Mount Everest from sea level. So that's 8,848 meters. doesn't matter what the hill is. It could be a driveway. It could be a mountain pass. It could yeah. be short. It could be steep. It could be shallow. It could be long, whatever. Mm -hmm. You just keep going up and down that same hill on the same route, right? You can't take a different mm -hmm. way down. You can't take a car down. You yeah. can't take a tram. Like yeah. it's you're cycling up and down that hill until you've banged out the elevation. George Mallory, who first did that, was the grandson of George Mallory who died on Mount Everest in 1924 with Sandy Urban. Crazy. Right? So those are the two guys who a lot of people presume made it to the top, mm -hmm. but didn't make it down. Hmm. So um, that, that's how it sort of started. And then people started to hear about this in different parts of the world. And you're just, you're just, you're just picking this up? I'm like just kind of picking this up in the periphery, right? And, you're, you're and I'm like, like hmm, maybe. Well, so... It's interesting how it's like sort of works into your head when you hear about something like this. Cause at first, like, like when you, you're a cyclist, like when you hear that, like what's a tough hill in Calgary? I love that this is so local because we can talk about specific like, hills and like, how does it translate? Right. Like, Edworthy's my, the end of my, end of my ride home every time. Edworthy's the awesome local grind, right? Especially if you live in Strathcona, mm -hmm. you know, Edworthy Hill, right? Yep. It's kind of an icon and it's a tough punch, mm -hmm. right? It's, Edworthy's 1.2 kilometers okay. or 1.1 and it's like I can't I'm going off the top of my head here it's like 90 meters or something okay. like that so you need to do it mm -hmm. it's uh like 140 times or something I can't remember exactly what the math is mm -hmm. but then so then you start to break it down to time and you're mm -hmm. like oh Edworthy would take like 18 19 hours like then you're like oh because you just hear about the elevation yeah. and you're like oh that sounds like a lot mm -hmm. but you don't like it's hard to contextualize it right especially if you're not like always looking at your elevation game yeah. in your rides would be that and the highway pass from the south side to the top is 1100 ish that's so doing that that's t out you can't do it there it's not nearly steep enough mm. it's too not, long way too long you end up right. riding like 500 kilometers right, right. it's madness so that, would take, that would take you it would take you two days probably right <laughs> Where Edworthy's at least pretty steep, so right. you can get it banked out, it. right? Okay. Right. Or COP. Yep. COP is another great, okay. right? The switchbacks. So then I started to think about it in terms of like the hills that I know, right? Like I thought about COP and I thought about Edworthy. Mm -hmm. And truth be told, when I first heard about it, I was like, no way. Because you did the math. I did the math. You're like 19 hours? No. I did the math. And I, because I worked it out. Because at first you're like, okay, yeah, we could try that. And then you do the math and you're like, no. My first reaction to my buddy who told me about it was like, 
oh, I'd never do that if I had that much time to ride my bike. There's way cooler things you could do and stuff like that. But the truth was, like, deep down, I was like, I don't think I could do that. That's brutal. And, and you were, when you were starting to hear about these things, you were, like, you were riding a lot, right? I was already riding a lot. You were competent. You kind of, like, yeah. you were a cyclist. Yep, racing a bit, riding a lot. Okay. I'd done big days on the okay. bike, and I was like, that's too much. Hmm. Yeah. So what changed? So, which, which is so cool, like, the timing of this conversation is awesome because I want to know what changed and then I want to know why you started a podcast around that. That's, I, I think that it's a pretty good story. Awesome. So, well, what changed, I guess, I had started Adventure Audio and I did that with Tyler uh, because he and I became friends because I used to run the Calgary and the Edmonton bike show. So there's the entrepreneur tie. So, and, right? and why, and was there, was there no shows and you just saw an opportunity or what was it? No, we... We, um, so Tyler had come up here and we did a couple of training camps in Banff and we like just, you know, we hosted people and rode around and yep. toured them and people who weren't familiar with the area and stuff like that. And we had so much fun and, but like the most fun of the weekend was like this, right? It was like sitting around yeah. after having yeah. a beer, having a coffee in the morning, stopping part way and like the chats, yep. right? And I could see that Tyler really loved that part too. And I loved the idea. Like I could talk about cycling and outdoor yeah, adventures and hikes and runs. Like I could talk about it all day. Mm -hmm. But it's, you've done it. It's a scary thing to start a podcast, right? Yeah. And I was like, it took pressure off to like have a co-host. So yeah. I asked Tyler, I said, hey, if I figure out like the technical side of like how to make this work, would you co-host him with me? And we'll do it remotely. He lives in Missoula, Montana. Yeah. But then we can host people from anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, so he was like, okay, so we started it and it, and it became a thing and people listen and it's super cool. And we got to talk to all kinds of awesome people, but we started in October 19. So we only podcasted for five or six months and then boom, pandemic hits, down, right? Yeah. And the shit hits the fan. Yeah. So we, we weren't able to do, we, we thought we'd do more camps and stuff. We haven't seen each other since it's been two and a half years, right? We haven't seen each other in person. We see talk twice a week, but yeah. then we started interviewing because we're interviewing all these awesome endurance athletes like this guy named um, uh, Ryan Atkins from Quebec who set the, the Everesting record on foot on a ski, local ski hill, like ran 8,848 8, meters. We were, because these super highly trained athletes suddenly have nothing to do, right? The yep. race calendar's yep. wiped clean. Yep. Everything's canceled for all of 2020. They all want something to do. They've all got a high fitness level and yep. they're all wired like that. Like A types, they mm. need, they're box checkers. Like they mm. need something to do. So they're all like looking at this Everesting challenge thinking like, hmm, because it requires some specificity in your training. Like if you're, if you're like a track cyclist and you need like huge sprints and yep. stuff like that, like you're not going to train to do an Everesting. Mm. It would, it would screw up everything else that you're working on. Yep. But these really accomplished athletes had the opportunity to do it. And then it started coming up on the podcast because we'd be hosting these people and they were like, I'm getting ready for an Everesting or I just tried an Everesting or whatever. Or my friend did one. They're trying to talk me into it. So then it sort of got on my radar. And then Tyler started, when we would host somebody, it kind of became an inside joke where he'd tease and he'd be like, oh, Peter's going to, Pete's going to do one. He's going to try. And I'd be like, Right. No, no, I'm not. That can't well, be like, record you here. do it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but then it started to creep into my head and then I started to do the math more. And then I thought like, why not? Like, why not? Like what's, what's the worst thing that can happen? You don't make it like, which, which hurts though. Of course. But look, like you got to take some risks, right? Yeah. Like you got to take some risks. The worst, once I, once I started to like think about that, 
it's like my living doesn't depend on it. Yeah. It's ultimately just a, a silly, frivolous, selfish thing to do. I'll just try. And yeah. if I make it to five or 6,000 meters, it'll be the most I've ever climbed in a day. Like, mm-hmm. So I'll give it a go. Mm-hmm. Once I'd committed though, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like a lot of A types. I just, I had You're to, good. I had to check the boxes and cross my T's, dot my I's yeah. so that I had the best possible chance to actually do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I fundraised for brown bagging for Calgary kids, which is an awesome local charity. They provide school lunches for kids that don't. And I'm like, I'm going to put as much external pressure on myself mm. so that I, that mm. I could, like, I'm just so, so, so motivated to get it done. And yep. that totally helped. Totally. It did. Just eyes, some extra pressure, a Completely. cause. Talked about it on the podcast, yep. fundraised. Yep. You know, and then when you're like, when you've been doing it for 17 or 18 hours and you're like, what have I gotten myself into here? You, you have that well to dig into of like, I got to get this damn thing done. So, which goes perfectly back to that question. The, what goes through your head when you're sitting in that saddle? I was thinking for like a hundred K ride, but what happens when you're riding for 17, 19 hours? Second part of your question. But what, like, like I know what I think about, right? All kinds of things. Yeah. If I ride 50 clicks. You know, it's the start of the day, it clears my head, it sets the table for everything that's going to happen that day, potentially the week and potentially for the, the plans for the month. And for me, it's about my business. How am I growing it? Yeah. What's, yeah. what's happening? It's amazing the clarity that comes when you're exercising. It's That's not just exclusive to cycling. You can yeah. be a paddler or whatever, but yep. the clarity that comes from other parts of your life that you're not even intending to go focus yeah. on. So but I you get, come back with these ideas, right? Totally. So my, my clarity, you know, after a couple hours of riding, I'm, I'm clear. Yeah. What happens when you're riding like for six, 19, all these hours? Like, where's your head yeah. going? Well, my shorter rides are exactly like yours. I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about family schedule. I'm like, how am I going to get this one to hockey and that one to dance? Yep. And like, you know, and I'm kind of like working it all out mm-hmm. um, in a very practical sense. Or if I'm training indoors, I'm often like replying to emails at the same time or mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. Because it's like, if I want to do it all, yep. then I just jam some stuff in. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about it later, but I also think that the whole like concept of balance is kind of BS, mm. you know, like, cause why would I be average at 15 things when I could be awesome at four, yep. you know, yep. but, <laughs> um, so, but long ones, you do need to be prepared. Do you have you, tunes in your ear? What do you do? Yeah. Breaks. Right. So like I try and take some breaks. So I had people pop by like on the Everesting in particular, but Where I've also you? done really. Where was the Everesting one? So Might that's another there. story, Might but I kind of, yeah, cause I kind of. <laughs> Sorry, man. I'm taking you everywhere cause my mind's just going. The hill selection is a huge and very, very fun part of Everesting. Cause you get to nerd out on that for a long time. You can just continue training, but then think about your hill, right? I yep. don't want it too steep. What kind of gearing should I be using? Mm-hmm. Where's my turnaround point mm-hmm. going to be? Is that safe? What's vehicular traffic like? Mm-hmm. Where can I set up my base camp, which yep. is usually your car, which you've got stuffed with food and maybe extra wheels and tubes and maybe a bike, yep. um, clothing. Maybe a stunt rider that can Everything <laughs> that you think that you might need in like the desperate times, right? Yep. Like you've got it all packed in there. And hopefully somewhere accessible enough where you can have some people pop by and give you a little boost, right? So yep. I had friends come in and ride some laps with me. Then I had like a five or six hour period in the midday where I was all by myself and I listened to um, a live REM concert oh, and cool. then a live hip concert oh, yeah. just to like take myself somewhere else, yep. you know, um, and you have to be prepared to play mental tricks because, and I just talked about this with somebody on the Everesting podcast, you are walking around with yourself and you've got your your best friend who's always ridden with you everywhere and but he's a bit of a dick Mm. and he's a bit of a naysayer and is always trying to talk you out of stuff and it's you and even though you know that that stuff is coming yeah 
you there's no defense for it. Mm -hmm. It's coming. Like you can't you can't shut the door on it. What you need though is when that thought comes in of like, why are you doing this? This is a waste. Like you're a father of three. Like get it together. Like mm -hmm. really, this mm -hmm. is what you're doing with your mm -hmm. spare time. Like this is a hard earned weekend, and you're out here. Like killing yourself. Like, why are you doing this stuff? You know, you know that those things are coming and mm -hmm. you need to have, you almost need your rebuttals like pre-prepared. Yeah. Because if as soon as you let that thought penetrate your head, like Laval will know about this in a deeper way than I ever will. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to talk back to it and yeah. put it in its place because yeah. it's coming. It mm -hmm. is coming and you need to be prepared for that stuff. So, um, and then as you, late in the night, my wife who's, so supportive mm -hmm. came to check on me i think it was like around 10 30 or 11 p.m and i've been riding since 4 a.m and i knew that i still had i was off pace i was off my intended pace which i think is typical i and was when, did, when are we supposed to finish i was hoping to finish by midnight so okay. 20 hours okay. and i was like i knew there was no way i was i was taking a little longer in the dark when i started than i thought having people come by to visit slowed me down mm. It was awesome to have right, people yeah. there, but I hadn't calculated in that stuff, right? Rookie mistake. So she shows up and it's dark again and I'm still trying to crank out laps and each lap takes me somewhere between nine and 10 minutes. So I come down and I can see her headlights and checks on me and how you doing? And she could tell I was pretty shattered. She didn't say it, but mm. I, I could tell <laughs> she could tell. And she's like, you know what? I'll just ride, I'll just drive behind you for a couple of laps is what she said, just so you can ride in the headlights and not worry about everything else that's going on. Because as soon as it got dark, Hill selection. We'll get back to that in one second. Because uh, it was dark and no city lights. Um, then the coyotes came out and the deer came out. And like I was descending pretty carefully because I was exhausted. Mm. So she started driving like whatever, 10 kilometers an hour, like up this hill. Mm. And she stayed there for three and a half more hours. Champion. J total champ. Had to work the did next day. Did you finish day. with her? I did. Awesome. She was there when I finished. And awesome. so was our good friend, Ken King. Uh, who showed up at, I don't know, like midnight or something with coffee. And they, and so he's like, well, I'll keep Christina company. And they sat in the car and, but late then that's when my mind really started to play mm. tricks on me and go places. And you do start to hallucinate, but you don't hallucinate in like a, I'm sure you do. I'm sure Laval's hallucinated. I'm sure I've heard of people like, like seeing like cartoon dinosaurs and like really tripping mm. out. Mm -hmm. But I just started to like see like shapes in the headlights that weren't actually there and stuff. So it was like the beginning stages yep. and I'm sure it would have turned into cartoon animals later. But that starts to happen too. Crazy. And you need to just kind of start like recentering, mm -hmm. recentering yourself as much as you can. Sounds horrible. I mean. So what happens, what happens when you finish? Besides being exhausted. It's so, <laughs> it's so anticlimactic. Yeah. You, you turn off your ride on your computer or your phone or however you're tracking mm -hmm. it you hope that it uploads into strava properly and mm -hmm. saves yeah because oh my god you don't want to have to do mm -hmm. it twice and uh and then make sure you, that you hit the necessary elevation and that was it and there's the three of us we're on this country road the hill that i did it on is called wild rose hill it's on a lower Springbank road uh right across the street from that funeral home <laughs> lower Springbank road and it's a dead-end road it just goes up pointing north and it goes past like maybe seven huge Springbank mansions. Yeah, okay. So you go past fun the funeral home and then take your it's right. It's like the next right. And you go yeah. up there? Yeah, there's a bank of mailboxes yeah, yeah, yeah. there. That's where I parked my car. It yep. was kind of a nice one yep. turnout. And you went to the top. And I went to the top where it's a cul-de-sac yep. and I would turn around and come back down and I did it 119 times. Oh, shit. 
I got to the top one time and there's these two ladies having a glass of wine, neighbors up at the top in the cul-de-sac and they've obviously had a bit of wine and they're all, they're like, Hey, good for you. I used to do that five times a week when I would ride back from from work. And I was like, good for you. And then we get to chat. I didn't say anything. They're like, how many times are you doing it? We've seen you up here a few times. I'm like 119. They're like, get out of here. Different. Yeah. Uh, It's so funny. I know, I know that uh, area very intimately. My dad, built a house out there oh, for a really? close family friend that he worked for okay. for 30 years. Okay. So I spent a lot of time working on that job. And if you side. road cycle, you know where I'm talking about because yep. that's where people road cycle in Crazy. Calgary. Or in the west side of Calgary anyways. Uh, are you going to do another one? Well, that leads back to the whole, like, how did I get into the Everesting podcast? Because like most people who do something that exhausting. Did you start it after or before? A- after. After you did it. After I did it. And then you're like, so what, what's your, where's your head at? You're like, this is... Are you seeing other people talking about it? You've now experienced it and you feel like you have, you can have a voice in the community? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it didn't happen that fast. It, it did, sorry, it did happen fast, but my thought process was, wasn't that. I didn't jump to that right away. The very first thing I thought of was like, I was so relieved that I did it and I was never going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Which is a, a completely normal mm-hmm. evolutionary reaction. Mm-hmm. We don't, we aren't hardwired to crave doing something like that again immediately after we do but we have all these cool chemicals that happen in our brain that sort of numb the unpleasant parts of that experience Mm -hmm. and sort of highlight the pleasant parts of it and that's how we start to talk ourselves back into doing these things so after i did it uh, i was so stoked and so relieved and then i communicated with andy the founder of of everesting and i asked him i was like well and i'd hosted him on my podcast and i was like why isn't there an everesting podcast Andy's a really charismatic, affable guy, and he should do it, is what I said. Like, you should host the Everson podcast. He's like, no, I don't have, like, the bandwidth for that. Like, we should. We should have one. It could be commercial, we, mm-hmm. but we'd need a host. He's like, you'd be perfect. And then the fateful words. And then we got to talking, and then I think we launched it, like, a month later. And I swear to God, one of my biggest hesitations was that I knew I'd need to do another Everson. I can't host that podcast and, like, be one and done. I've got to do another one. So I am, I am planning another one. They have a different version of that challenge, which is called a 10 K Rome. So you don't do 8,848 meters to do 10,000 meters. So it's more, mm-hmm. you have 36 hours to do it. So it's timed, which is unlike Everesting, which you can take as long as you need to do, yep. but you can sleep, which is also unlike Everesting. Everesting, mm-hmm. you can't sleep gotcha. within this 36 hour period. Oh, and you need to ride a minimum of 400 K in 36 hours. So 400 K 10,000 meters of elevation. Hmm. You can sleep, but you probably don't want to sleep much because you you need a lot of that time to be moving, right? Mm -hmm. So if you live in different parts of the world, you might have an opportunity to like actually plan a route that would give you the necessary elevation and mileage because they have steep enough roads in Europe. We don't have roads like that here. You can't do it without repeats. Hmm. So um, my options are either to travel or to do a lot of repeats somewhere, right? So I don't, I don't want to travel for it. It's hard. Like it takes a lo- away a lot. And if I do travel, I don't want to just see a couple of hills. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, yeah. I want to experience a little bit more than that. So right now I'm going to try and plan out, and I should talk to you, Kurt Laval, about this because I want to try and pick like the ten hardest hills, sort of between Cochrane and Calgary, like the icons for mm-hmm. cyclists, like yeah. Edworthy, yeah. like. COP like Glen Eagles get like 10 of them mm-hmm. and do do a thousand meters each and do all the riding in between them 
right? So gotcha. however many repeats it takes to get a thousand yeah. on this hill. And then go to the next and one. And ride to the next one, get a thousand meters on that hill and then ride to the next one and then Oof. sleep somewhere in between and then get up and then finish it. So I'll start at like 7 a.m. on a Saturday and hopefully be done by 7 p.m. on Sunday. Gross. Gross. Like it, the, it's just, to, to, those numbers are so massive. Like they're, they're really crazy. And I ride enough to know they're crazy. I just don't, yeah, I don't know what it just wired, <laughs> but it's just a passion, right? It's people that do crazy yeah. things, whatever they love. I think so. It's like, again, back to that balance comment. Like, I guess I could be average at things, but yeah. I don't know. Like, it's like when Stephen King asked, somebody asked Stephen King why he writes such scary stories. And he said, like, what makes you think I have a choice? It's like, that's what's in my head. Mm. That's what I write. Mm. Like, I don't know. I don't mm. know. I guess I can't really answer that. No, there's like, this like innate desire yeah. to push a little harder mm. and mm. kind of see what's around the next corner, right? Mentally even. Yeah. It, and that's, I think that's what it is. I think, um, yeah. The way you started this whole conversation of, you know, just like putting in the energy and you're, you're going to accomplish it. I can agree with it, but I'm just like, sometimes you're just physically not capable of doing things. And I'm wondering when that breaking point is like, that's a, I'm sure you were thinking <laughs> there is a, there is a breaking point. Like there has to be, has to right. Be. There has to be. Now maybe it's the next one, but maybe, maybe not. it's the next maybe one. Not. Yeah. There's also like, there's the margins are so thin on a challenge like this, especially when it's timed mm -hmm. that att uh, that's why I call it an attempt, right? Yeah. Like there's no guarantee yeah. that'll do Cause it could be a mechanical kind of do yeah, you can get totally. a swollen knee or yeah. just, or weather or like there's, so many variables that can mm. go wrong, which makes it more exciting because yeah. there's like all of these margins then yeah. you have to have it kind of all come together. So there's no doubt if I, I, I hope I eventually fail at one of these mm. crazy things because if I never do, then I've never yeah. found that governor, whether yeah. that's luck, the governor can be luck. Yeah. The governor can be my own body, but I can say definitively for myself that we're capable of so much more than we think that we can mm. do. And so are all of us. Like we are endurance machines. It's actually the only thing that we're good at is mm. animals. Like we're slow. We're not that strong mm. compared to other animals. Like we're really not, yeah. but we're endurance machines. We're mm. the best animal in the world at it. Mm. Right. So much better than we think that we can, yeah, that's interesting. But, but we're like, we evolved to be self-protective and to rest, right? Like yeah. that's what our, that's what our evolution tells us to do. Yeah. Unless you're being chased, you rest, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And then you go fast and hard or you migrate to find food and you go yeah. a long way. But otherwise we're programmed to rest. Your body's going to tell you to stop because it sucks and it hurts. Yeah, that must be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We can keep going. It's Yeah. It, to understand that and actually do it are like... They are two different things. Yeah. yeah. So, and I knew it, I knew it. So that's why I went from being like an endurance cyclist to like an ultra endurance cyclist. And mm. there's a, there is a step there yeah. that I think is pretty clearly defined, mm. but the process is the same. Mm -hmm. It is the same. And it does come down to just science, like yeah. the math, if you can stay awake and be safe, like, I think that's really, really important. And I'm not willing to risk something that, that, uh, puts me so deep that, I think I'm unsafe, like Dangerous. crashing on the yeah. descent or something yeah. like that, right? I'm not willing to do that. I've got people to answer to mm -hmm. and take take care of. But um, if you can keep finding a way to get 200 to 250 calories in your stomach every yeah. hour, yeah. you can keep going indefinitely. Yeah. It can work. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, starting two podcasts, I want to. I'd love to hear your thoughts around the why. Like why? Why to do it? Like what? Why podcasting? Yeah. Wh why did you think that you had something that you had a voice? I just want to hear your thought process, obviously, because I have mine. So I'm curious yeah. to, you've done, you've started two now. So I'm curious to see what, what you're. It's, first of all, I love the medium. I love it. 
Like, so, I mean, I grew up, loved, loved reading, loved reading adventure stories, like Into Thin Air by John Krakauer and like Alive about the yeah. Uruguayan soccer team. And like, I just love stories like that. And then podcasting is like. You listen to podcasts? Tons, tons of podcasts. Yeah. Really? I'm almost always listening to a podcast. No way. Yeah. But yeah. Lots. I listen to one podcast. Really? That's it. I listen to a bunch of podcasts. Yeah. I listen to yours now too. Crazy. Yeah. I listen to a bunch of podcasts. Yeah. Um, I, I get a lot out of them. So, I mean, I loved the medium already. Yep. And then I, then as it clearly became easier and easier and less like more accessible yep. to do Yep. and we could do it remotely and we had our challenges, like mm. our audio sucked mm. for mm. months and mm. like you, you have such a sick setup here. Like we don't, we don't have that, but yep. we've dialed in a lot of things, but I just loved it. And, but I had like, I had all the same normal insecurities that anybody else does. And I guess that's an important message to get out there for people. It's the same thing with Everesting or ultra cycling or anything else. It's like, I wonder if I can do it. Of course mm -hmm. I psych myself out and think like, this is stupid or should I do it? Yeah. I did that with the podcast too. I was like, nobody's going to care about this. Nobody's mm -hmm. going to listen to it. Mm -hmm. But at some point you just got to like, it's your life. Like who yeah. cares if some, if one person, like if yeah. you don't want to listen to it, don't listen to it. Like yeah. it's at some point you need to kind of get over yourself and your mm -hmm. own insecurities. Cause I definitely had them. Even Tyler did too, who had a really successful cycling career, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, uh, I don't know, but then we started and it was like, and then we got great feedback and then we had guests reach out after we talked to them yeah. and said, you guys are really good at that. Like keep it up. And now I'm a listener and, and it just kind of snowballed. I didn't know if we'd do two or three mm -hmm. or if we'd keep rolling. And now I've done like 110. No way. Yeah. And like 10 Everesting podcasts so far. And mm -hmm. I don't know if I could host anymore. I think I'm a little too it takes energy. And busy. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to get up and research and, and like know what you're talking about with people. And which is my trick. I don't do any research. Zero. <laughs> think of all the time you're saving. Think of all the time you're saving. But do you, but you know, here, here's the, you know, the, at the root of the question is you're a dude in Calgary. Yeah. An accomplished amateur cyclist. I don't know if that's a fair statement or not. Yeah, I think that's probably the right way to say it. Okay. Accomplished, but definitely an amateur still. Like, yeah, totally. You know, we're not, you're not making money. You're not on a nope. pro circuit. You're just a dude that loves it that's doing something really awesome. Totally. And you decide that you can have a voice in, did you think it was, did you want to be super niche? Did you know you needed to go there? Did, did you just know you, you could be a voice in something you're passionate about? Where is that? Yeah, like I think the, the, that's almost the why, you know? Like, yeah, the the why was, I guess, I guess I did maybe. So it's again, back to how you can have conversations or maybe, maybe I'm unique. I don't think I am. I think a lot of people do this. I talk myself into thinking I'd be good at this. Like I'm a good conversationalist, like, mm. like, and, and I'm passionate about it. I know about it. Like, yeah. and if you're hosting, you can put most of the work on your guests. Dude, that's why I'm doing if, this. If they're half interesting, all you need to do is like drop some carrots and some yeah. and some breadcrumbs and have them sort of follow a bit of a path. Yep. Um, and then of course I could do it. And then it took pressure off to have a co-host because he is smart and well researched too, yep. and has a lot of other interesting points. Mm -hmm. So we can kind of play off one another. And so I was like, you know what? It, it was a bit of a life is short thing. It's like interesting. I, I won't regret trying, but I will regret not trying. And I know, again, that sounds corny, but corny things exist because they're true, right? Yep. Like I yep. would definitely have reservations and regrets about not having tried it hmm. versus trying it. And I'm so glad that I did because it's been super rewarding. Uh, and at a level that surprised you? Yeah. Yeah. It's totally surprised me. Mm. It has. And we're actually, to answer your question, we're not that specific. That's why we called it Adventure Audio. We don't have cycling in the name because mm. we've introduced some or interviewed some ultra runners. Yep. 
um, mountaineers, like mm -hmm. really interesting people. And we don't want to be like, we didn't want to preclude ourselves from having yep. a conversation with Dean Carnassus or Laval St. Germain or mm -hmm. Scott Jurek, who's an ultra runner, uh, just because, just yep. because, right? Because so we're like, wheels. we don't, yeah. Like why would, why would we pigeonhole ourselves that mm -hmm. way? We thought, did that give us a little bit less opportunity commercially with like a cycling related sponsor or something? Maybe but we're like, this isn't going to replace either of our full time yeah. jobs. So let's make it exactly, let's make the podcast that we want to listen to and whoever wants to listen to it, will listen to it yeah. and it'll be what it'll be, yeah. you know? It, it, it's interesting. And do you find that, um, are you getting enough out of it to keep it going? Yeah. You're getting yeah. enough like personal satisfaction to kind of just keep the, yeah, we have moving. a little bit of sponsor support. So it is commercialized, but not like, again, it's not yeah, income. You're not Joe Rogan here. Nope, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And, and we're, not even, we're not even aspiring to be, but yeah, mm. definitely getting enough out of it. And I've also gotten good enough at the back end editing, post publishing, yep. post, all the post-production stuff, right? Getting yep. it out on social media. I've gotten yep. practice enough of that stuff that it's become easier and easier. So it's become almost a more rewarding experience because I have to pour a little less in. Yeah to that and we have you know we have a dedicated like we try but we're also not like we've just put it out there and mm. it gets the lessons that it gets and you can see you can see what people are interested well, in and it's like it's like tracking that damn yeah. book of yours right like there's totally it's it's and, and i yes i do i look at who's downloading mm -hmm. what country is yeah. like yeah but isn't it amazing to scroll through and be like somebody in uruguay listens to our podcast yeah what? it's it's yeah, it's it's so cool it's and and i think the the interesting thing that the questions I get right now about this show is just like, oh, how are you monetizing this? You making money? And, and the minute, no, I don't make any money off of this. And that's not the goal. I think if you do something you're passionate about, you put energy towards something, it becomes more than you think it's going to become. And then maybe you can monetize it then. But if that's the leader, if that's your, the direction you want to go out of the gate, I think it fails. If that's your why? Yeah. Yeah. Especially on a, what should be a passion project yeah. or an art project. It's an arts project. I mean, podcasting is art. Conversations and art. If it's if it's coming from a place of art, whether it's music or anything, if if commercialization and dollars is like yep. your motivator, first of all, I think it's pretty transparent. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, secondly, I think you'd burn out on it pretty fast. I think you're right. Yeah. I think I think that's a that's an interesting lesson. I think because everyone, not everybody, everyone can't do this. Everyone can't be a host. Everyone can't have a voice. They can. Sometimes you actually, you don't have the DNA to actually pull it off. Totally. To look at a podcast as, a, you know, thinking about the art or the create like a conversation versus how do I shine more light on myself? You know, not everyone can think like that, which totally. I think then all the, the ones that can think like that, they last longer. You know, there's some runway there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And there's so many, like, it's so cool. There's so many ways to tell stories. You can have a YouTube channel, you mm. can be some sort of content creator, right? Mm. And you can find fans like all over the world. Yep. It's so neat, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've got from just people that we've interviewed, like there's so many places in North America or in Europe that I could go to and the like invites. literally text somebody mm -hmm. and meet up for a bike ride. Mm -hmm. Like people that like, that's so cool. Did like, you what think that would happen? Live in? No, isn't no. That, isn't that crazy though? It's when, amazing. When, when all of a sudden, when you, when you come up with a show idea and all of a sudden you're surrounded by like-minded people, then your, your world, you cannot believe there's that, these kind of people all over the world that think like you, you're like, Oh, I'm not weird. Totally. And not did you, did this happen to you? This happened to us. We were like, we're going to run out of people to talk to really fast. Like that happened to us. Now, now it's the complete yeah. opposite. I'm like, we could do a podcast every day. Yeah. We'd never run out of people to talk to. We want to talk to 
outdoorsy, inspiring yep. people who are pushing limits will never run out of How did that happen though? The minute, the minute you started thinking like that was I'm guessing you're just, a, you're almost getting to the edge of your network and you're like, eh, I don't know, like how deep can we go? And then what happened? Recommendations. Yeah. From people happening. that were on the show. Totally. Which is exactly why you and yeah. I are here. Yeah. Well, you should talk to this person That's or you it. should talk to that person. And then, then that snowballs and it's so cool. Did you know that was going to be a possible outcome from doing the show? I, I knew, like I, I intellectually knew that. Right, like you knew I, the network I'm, was going to go. Yeah, I'm old enough to know that that's how networks work, but if, I didn't. I still didn't have the confidence or belief that it would really work for us yet. Well, because I think the only way it works is if you're good. I guess so. You know, if yeah. if, if you were yeah. if you were a shitty host, if the show sucked, if the conversation sucked, that referral, just like in business, right? If you're if you're shitty at what yeah. you do, yeah, I didn't even think of that. You're the right. The referral yeah. thing kind of stops at a certain point. So you're like, whew, got through that, and then just and it's, it's dead. They, they never think about it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. It, it's really interesting to see what happens. And the reason I'm kind of on this with you right now is because part of my, I like to talk to people about hosting a party. Host a party, host a podcast. If you're trying to do anything, if you're trying to, if you're trying to um, grow something, hosting a party, just everything starts growing. Your network grows. It just is the perfect idea for business, for um, personal enjoyment. If you have, there's something in you though, right? Like, not everyone can sit in front of a camera on a mic and host this thing. Like it's, there's something different about doing this. Yeah. I mean, I think you do. It's funny. I don't like, I don't, I, I hate editing the podcast because I have to listen oh, yeah, to myself totally. so much. Totally. It's the worst, right? Yeah, yeah. But I love talking. I hate listening to myself. <laughs> I love to talk, obviously. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, you need to know that, that it's something that you could continue to do, yep. right? I guess, I guess that's, that's important mm -hmm. because there's so many, like, have you delved into like, like podcast stats. I know they're sort of ambiguous and hard to get, but so many podcasts start and fizzle right out. Yep. So many podcasts get no downloads. Yep. Um, you don't, why, why do you think those, why do you think those scenarios happen? Uh, I think that people want to a, I think like the, like the joke that everybody has a podcast. Well, probably not everybody should have a podcast. Yep. There's, some of them just aren't very good because yep. they weren't very well thought out. Yep. And then other people quit just cause they're quitters. Like it's work work. I, this, yeah. this, it is work. To pull this off is is dead work, and it takes hours to do it, which takes hours away from family, from cycling, from totally. work, whatever. So it's everything. Yeah. It's work, and people, a lot of people quit as soon as they meet any kind of adversity. Yeah. That doesn't matter if it's on a bike yeah, ride or anything. a trail or work or, or starting starting a podcast or hobby business or what like. Uh, you know, like when I started the bike shows and stuff like that, like that was all that was called. A, that was a side hustle before side hustles were cool, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. and this this is too. Yeah. Uh, whether you're monetizing it immediately or not, and yep. if you aren't like committed to seeing some things through and battling through a little bit of adversity, like as soon as we had somebody email us and say, "Hey, kind of like the show, but your audio sucks," I could have shriveled up and yep. quit or yep. like, you know what I mean? But yep. where do you get some? People just need a little bit of resilience to push through. And as soon as, I, I don't know if it's happened for you, but as soon as we could see that our numbers were more than the people that we immediately knew were listening, mm -hmm. like, like I can't name those people. Like that's my brother and my mom <laughs> downloading the podcast. Yeah. It was really encouraging. You're like, that's a big enough number that a, I don't know a bunch of those people. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I, I think the stats, the stats are eventually maybe important when you're going to monetize it. If you want to, do something with it. What I find is if you, if you come up with a show idea, as long as you're passionate about it and that passion can just keep you, the energy going and you, it allows you to keep working at it, 
and then you start it up. Totally. And then the only wild card then is, do you have the chops or the personality to pull it off? Yeah. And it's better to have a core group of fans probably than... than like a market. Yeah, totally. Yep. yep. And, and, and a niche. I, like It doesn't need to be big nope. to, for it to be rewarding and to keep going. Nope. And now I get like... And I totally underestimated how rewarding it would be to get an email saying, I'm going to plan an Everesting because you inspired yeah. the shit out of me. I can't believe it. Like father of three, super busy, mm-hmm. figured out a way to do this, mm-hmm. figured out the training, like to have people that I've never met, total yep. strangers, reach out and tell me things like that. Like wild. So cool. Totally underestimated how cool and powerful that is. When you, when you think back to, you know, that golden triangle, the first one, if that was the first big That was the first ride. Multi, big multi-day ride I did, yeah. And now all of a sudden you have a voice in the industry. Mindfuck, yeah. is it weird? Yes. Like it's yeah, totally, totally. And again, an insecurity thing too. It's like, mm. well, I don't like, yeah. I'm not a partner at BowCycle, like Kurt, or, and I didn't race my bike professionally. But mm. then it's like, you know what? Cycling doesn't belong to people who own bike shops or who raced at the, in the world tour. Yeah. Or, or any, whatever your thing is, right? Whether yep. that's music or whatever, you don't need to have been on the cover of Rolling Stone to have a voice in music or to mm-hmm. care about it or to know about it or to talk about it. So I had to kind of get over that a mm-hmm. little bit and been like, you know what? I do have lots to contribute. I've done some, some mm-hmm. big stuff and I care and, and I like to try and be a, like an ambassador for the sport too, right? Mm-hmm. And encourage other people to do it, whether yep. it doesn't matter what your big year is, it could be just getting off the couch. It could be it whatever. Could be riding 5,000 It could be 100 K. clicks. It could be, it could be 100 clicks. It could be finally doing a 100K ride. It could yep. be any of those things, right? Yep. So, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mindfuck, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> it is. And, and I think I think what's really cool, I think the ones, the shows that, again, I only listen to one podcast. It's a water ski podcast with my buddy Trent. That's the one podcast you listen to. That's it. Okay. So, but what I think, I think what happens is it's just, There, there's a bunch of variables that make a good show. And I think when you, if you come at it from an angle of you, you can, you have this objective that you want to get to, I think there's more opportunity to fail. You know, I want to be a voice in the industry. I want to hit 5,000 downloads. Right. You know, I think setting yourself up with those goal, goals for a podcast, you'll fail because the minute it gets hard, you're going to be, you're jumping out. I think it sounds like our approach is very similar. Passionate yeah. about something, like to talk about things we like talking about and all of a sudden the, the machine just gets going and what happens is just mind altering when you have these totally it's when i got to sit down with laval it was a great one katrina lemay dome like these people so are so cool way above my pay grade like i was a little kid when katrina lemay dome was, was winning gold medals owning like it. she was such a big deal so then it, it just opens the door so i think it's 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 very interesting when, you, when you're doing something good it just the spider web just grows. It's it's the coolest thing. Like it's it's magical. And we don't like what a time we live in, right? Like yeah. and my kids get to grow up in this time. Like they, mm-hmm. they're gonna have resources that are mm-hmm. you know, it's unbelievable. Would it be interesting so cool. to see as your kids listen to what you're up to, if when they get to a certain age, do they do they feel more inclined they too can have a voice in a community? Yes. I, I already can see that in them. Mm-hmm. Um and that makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. Even if it's and like the bug hasn't the cycling and the ultra endurance bug hasn't bit any of them yet. They're yep. they're pretty young, and I don't even care if it ever does. Mm-hmm. But it could be like my daughter's a dancer. I mean, she why why couldn't she have a podcast about yeah, dancing totally. if that's what she wanted to do in a yep. couple of years? Like she could be a teenager and do that. Like what you know? Mm-hmm. Like why not? Mm-hmm. Of course you can. Mm-hmm. There's free apps to do it. Like just 
it's such a cool creative outlet. And but for goal setting, I think is very important to. I think goal setting is wildly important, but they don't need to be so tangible with yeah. an art, like you said. Like it doesn't need to be five thousand downloads. If you want to buy a condo in Hawaii and it costs a million dollars, that's you can't be mm-hmm. like it's a million dollars. You can't. Yeah, that's a very very defined goal. Yeah business goals, sales metrics, like those are, they, those have to be defined. If you're, if you're like, I'm going to dedicate some of my spare time to this, putting a hard number on it like mm-hmm. that is just like soul sucking. Like yeah. that takes the fun out of it. It's not why we do it. Right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So w- we said we'd do it as long as we had fun and we're having a blast. That's cool. Yeah. Did you got, do you have bandwidth to do a third show? <laughs> I hope my, my, if my wife listens <laughs> to this, she's going to be like, no, he doesn't. Um, I don't know. I probably have I probably have some bandwidth to help some other shows yeah. out and maybe co-pilot. almost like yeah, maybe co-pilot a little bit or yeah. even help uh distribute or like figure out some of those pieces and maybe fill in some of the blanks that mm. we don't necessarily get into like in terms of like bike tech or yeah. like training because yeah. we don't specifically get too deep into those things on the podcast on purpose. It's more conversational. It's more like about like the stories, human spirit and stories and inspiration. And right. That's what, that's what people listen to, right? Yeah. Google, they can figure out some technical things. Right. But if, we, but if it, that is some, at some point grew into a little bit more of like a network mm-hmm. where there was like more niches mm-hmm. below it, I could see that it's part of my personality to wonder about growing things or where something can go. Right. doesn't that's, matter what I do. It's cool, man. Uh, this has been a cool chat. Thanks, man. You, you'll be That's surprised super. how long we've been chatting, but um, I feel like we've been t- talking for like twenty minutes. I know it's been—it's <laughs> almost an hour and a quarter. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. So super cool. Um, again, thanks to Laval for hooking this up. Yeah, huge shout out to Laval. Yeah. He's the man. Um, I only ask one question: When I say Calgary, where does your head go? Because I've listened to the podcast, I knew that was coming, and uh, it is—it's maybe a little bit of a cliche answer. People have beat me to it, but I definitely think about the mountains is one thing. Yep. Uh, I also think about Calgary has a personality to it and it's not always the best, but it serves it really, really well. Mm-hmm. It's Calgary is like, um, one of my favorite podcasters talks about uh, sports podcasters. He talks about athletes having irrational confidence where they're almost think that they're better than they are, but it somehow serves them well because they just don't believe they could ever not yep. be successful. Yep. Calgary's kind of like that. Calgary kind of has like this, this swagger. And, mm-hmm. and I kind of love that about my city. It's very, very resilient. We've been kicked around a whole bunch for a whole bunch of different reasons. And I know a lot of places do that happens. Um, you know, the energy industry, there's a lot of reasons for it. Yep. But Calgary's super, super re- resilient. We have irrational confidence as a city. And we just believe we'll be okay. And we just have swagger. And I love that about Calgary. That's a cool way to phrase it. Yeah. Super cool. I'll probably clip it and you'll see yourself saying that awesome. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Cool.